honestly, if you've been at it that long, like there's probably nothing that's gonna like 3X your business overnight, but you can see, a, I think a 50% growth, which is huge, you know, by kind of like a game of inches, so to speak of like, okay, let's let's get 10% here, 10% here, 10% here, 10% here. And, you know, having that kind of like add up over time. It's been, it's been pretty powerful. I think when you go from that, like, we, you know, we had like the founding team and then a bunch of kind of VP level people, you know, I think going from that to like adding your C-level exec team is actually pretty cool. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, we've got Jordan Monroe, co-founder at Outlet. Jordan, thanks for making time. No problem. Excited to talk. So for people who don't know Outlet, can you can you give people the elevator pitch? Yeah. So, you know, a little red light you put on your finger when you go to the hospital that tells the doctor if he needs to come in and check on you. It's called pulse oximetry. And we, you know, had the idea about eight years ago, actually, that, man, wouldn't this be nice for parents if parents would know in the middle of the night they need to go in and check in, check in on the baby. So we miniaturized the technology and put it on a baby's foot. So now, you know, your average parent can have a hospital technology tell them if their baby, you know, isn't getting enough oxygen and they can run into the room. I love it. And, and you guys have have grown into other products as well now. Yeah. Yeah. So we just launched our, our first, second product, I guess, last year, our non, non-smart sock product, which was a camera. And then this year we're launching a sleep course for babies and then also a pregnancy product. It'll come out at the end of the year. That's exciting. So yeah. you guys are, are a big deal around here. I hear about you all the time and I had my last kid nine years ago. So I had to go through all of the like <laughs> four kids of, man, I hope my kid isn't dead. And you run in the room and you're like, uh-huh. I can't tell if they're breathing, you know? And then you like, you finally see the chest rise or something. You're like, okay, I was just panicking. Right. So yeah, wish you guys could have come out with that 16 years ago for me, but <laughs> I'm happy for all the parents from now on. You guys have really got a huge amount of attention and people have responded so incredibly well to the product. You know, there's lots of folks who try to achieve product market fit and they're trying to make something that is fills a real big gap in the market. What do you think that you've done differently compared to everyone else who's trying to be a smart innovator? Shit. I think, you know, I, I wish I could say that we did it intentionally, intentionally, but I think we just landed on the right product market fit. And I think you're, you're hitting it spot on that it's, it's, that's pretty key to nail. You know, I, I actually, over the last, you know, seven years since we really started the business, there's been about eight other people come out with kind of competing products. And they were using, in some cases, they were using like fiber optic mats that would go underneath the baby's, you know, the baby and and pick up on the movement of the belly to like basically a radar infused camera that can pick up stomach movements as well. We've also seen people using pulse oximetry, but not for this exact same use case. So like there was one device called Sproutling that came out and it was kind of like help you predict when your baby would wake up and like give you like an extra, you know, 30 minute warning window or like know like how to connect their sleep better, like kind of like less like 
must have pains, you know, and more just like, oh, make parenting like 10% better kind of type thing with like deep learning and AI kind of type stuff, more of like a techie uh, value proposition. But I think about that a lot, like, and, and sorry, and all those other companies have failed. And it, I really think about that a lot about how we really nailed, you know, not probably because we are like sages or super wise or anything kind of like luck, but, you know, we nailed the fact that there's this believable technology called pulse oximetry and people believe that it'll actually notify you if your baby stops breathing more than, you know, a, a different technology does. So, you know, the value prop is, was the same in a lot of them, except for this one I told you, it's kind of like make parenting 10% better idea sproutling. But most of them were like same value prop, you know, offering to the customer, different technology that led to a different believability on that. So, you know, as I, I, as I look on it, you know, that getting that product market fit is, is super key. Yeah. You know, think, you know, comparing this, you know, folks with similar ideas who haven't made it, and, you know, I'm, I'm looking on your Glassdoor. By the way, congratulations on, on the reviews of your company on Glassdoor. Oh, I was like, oh, crap. I don't know what I was going to see. No, it's, it's like 88% recommended to a friend, 94% approve of CEO. Like these are some, oh, nice. yeah, these are some great reviews on here. But, you know, on here it's saying, you know, you're in the 50 to 200 employee mark and the 25 to $50 million a year mark. And I don't know if you comment on those numbers publicly, but, you know, they're significantly above when you and your buddies started this back in college, right? Yeah, for sure. When you think about kind of the distinct phases in business, was it three of you, four of you who started it? What, how big was the starting team, founding team? Uh, there's actually five of us in, okay. the, in the early days, kind of whittled down to three. Okay. When you think about the different levels of when we went from us founders to this many staff to that many staff, or when we went from this much revenue to that much revenue to that much revenue, where do you feel like kind of natural break points are where business starts to be different? Yeah, it's a really good point. I think of it in kind of funding rounds, you know, from in venture investing, and that's kind of the world that I know, but you can, you know, any listeners out here can, can apply that to their own business. But you know, the first stage, you know, this kind of seed stage, or I guess you could even think back to like an angel stage. It's just like, is there like proof of concept? Like, is this kind of possible? But I think that first stage, like you're just a dev team, you know, you are just a team of engineers and, and product people and designers, and you're just built, you're just making stuff, you know? And then once you've proven that it's possible, you reduce the tech risk and say, okay, this thing is possible to build. Next thing you got to go prove, that's like the, the, that's where the seed round, the seed money kind of gets you to. The next round, the, the series A is all about, you know, proving that people will actually buy it. And, and hopefully you've got a little bit of data that's like showing like, yeah, hey, people want this. And there's some early interest. Actually, nowadays, you probably need a lot more than just like early signals. You need like some really good data that shows people want to buy it. But that's where your next stage is like, hey, go prove the, you know, first, like go solve like the technological risk. The next, like go solve the market risk, you know, go solve the fact that what are the unit economics needed in order to like really grow this, this, this product. And then, and, and that is like a really, really hard time, I think. Well, they're, they all, they're all hard in different ways, but you know, that's where you're going from like just being a dev team to now you've got all these other like functions to the business you now have an operations function that's like you know ensuring components arrive on time you can continue to manufacture reliably then you've got finance you've got marketing and sales you don't have to you know sell the thing 
and HR and like, you just comes with all these different pieces to the business. You really didn't have back when you were like 20 ish people. It's kind of, you know, a big different, you know, step, you know, and then there's, you, you kind of ride the growth trail for a while. And then after that, it's, it's a weird shift when it becomes about, holy moly, we've got, you know, tens of millions dollar business here and we need to keep we're outside the revenue range we're, we're we'd be in a higher revenue range than than you cited but the the it, it and there's actually like an attitude shift of like let's keep this safe you know and i totally understand why you know larger companies acquire businesses you know now after kind of going through this because your ability to move quickly is just majorly slow down you've got kind of a golden goose that you have to keep happy you know you've got this revenue stream which for us is the smart sock and it's hard to even innovate within that product line because you've the number one rule now is like hey we've got something to lose let's keep this safe you know and and the business the way you make decisions just completely changes so i think you know and that's as far as i've kind of like lived it you know i'm sure there's more stages and phases but you know those those would be i think some some big ones and i think like hr wise it's like 10 people like you all know what's going on 20 people you start to like you start to need a little bit of leadership you know 50 people you need like directors in there and starting to get vps and then like uh 100 150 people now you need like a solid c level a solid vp level a solid director level and then you've got your individual contributors so like all this like this intricacy to the business and these levels of management which just feels super foreign to a team of like 10 to 20 people you know growing into that's been a really interesting experience as well yeah so when you think about when you think about people who are feeling stuck let let's pick one of those levels so yeah. let's pick the last one for instance what what were you calling that cutoff maybe 150ish yeah when you think about people who are feeling stuck just below that what kind of ideas do you have if they feel like hey it's a good business we're making good money but maybe you know we're not experiencing a lot of growth anymore and or maybe you know maybe it's a family business that's been around for years and they're going like, you know, somebody's got this feeling, I've got more, we, we could go more places, but, you know, we've kind of got deep ruts in the way we are. And, you know, nobody wants to kill the golden goose and, and these kind of things. Any, any advice about moving past it to that next level? Yeah, I think, I think getting new, fresh talent on the team and then empowering that talent to make decisions is, is really, really powerful. You know, we, we thought that we had really kind of maxed out our the on on our marketing side and, and hired a new chief marketing officer and you know she's really kicked butt and done things that we kind of like didn't think were gonna you know make a big difference and and honestly if you've been at it that long like there's probably nothing that's gonna like three extra business overnight but you can see a, I think a 50% growth which is huge you know by kind of like a game of inches so to speak of like okay let's let's get 10% here, 10% here, 10% here, 10% here. And, you know, having that kind of like add up over time, it's been, it's been pretty powerful. I think when you go from that, like we, you know, we had like the founding team and then a bunch of kind of VP level people, you know, I think going from that to like adding your C-level exec team is actually really, really powerful. Like we, we brought in our CFO who 
he was the CFO over at Specialized Bicycles in Burton Snowboard. And he showed up and he just started pulling the right levers. You know, he'd been on this merry-go-round, so to speak, like five times, right? So he jumps in and says, cool, boom, 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 starts moving. And like the gears start going and, and, and things really take off. And that's a really fun thing to see when you can afford to get that upper level management that, that shows up and is able to like, 1x or, or 0.5x your revenue or, or your effectiveness it's that's pretty exciting because you've already grown so much at that point you know yeah so you know i would think it would be cool to have anybody from burton snowboards come work with me right you're speaking <laughs> my language there but when you let's say you don't have quite the the whiz bang factor of a burton right but you want somebody who's had that type of experience besides the just typical carrot of more money more shares more you know comp plan any other thoughts about attracting that top talent that isn't just the cliche stuff you hear everywhere? Yeah, dude, I think you can get, I think startups that can manage really powerful advisors can, and can manage that well, can really get a lot of the bang for none of the buck, so to speak, you know? So, I mean, these kind of level, you know, if let's say we were cash strapping, instead of hiring on this CFO, we actually brought him on as a really, really motivated advisor and maybe through shares or, you know, somehow we're able to get him really motivated, but we only got him for like, I don't know, five hours a month or something like that. And we just made the very, very most out of those five hours, man, I feel like you can get, you know, the 80, 20 rule probably applies there where you're getting a lot of their pattern recognition where they're like, yes, bad idea, good idea, do this, do this, do this. And you get a ton of the benefits for, you know, a fraction of the cost. And we, we did that a lot in the early days. We had like this world renowned pulse oximeter person that there was no way we could afford him to actually build our product. But we had his help and now he's actually works for Apple and no one can access him right now. But back then he was like the dude and we got his, you know, we got his advice on stuff. And for a fraction of the cost, he, you know, he'd be like, go here, go here, go here. And we'd bumble around for, you know, a few weeks kind of inefficiently and come back like, oh, here's what we got. He's like, cool, good job. Throw that away. Keep doing that. Do less <laughs> of this, more of this. And then we'd bumble around again and then meet him again three, you know, three or four weeks later. But, you know, we got a ton of um, mileage out of that kind of an agreement. So I think that, you know, scrappy founders can, can totally make it work still. Yeah. You know, in, in relation to team, fundraising can obviously play a role. Uh, have, are you guys public about how much you've raised total now? Yeah. So we raised about $50 million. Okay. And, and what were those, what were those bite sizes along the way? Oh, shoot. Approximately. Uh, it was like 2.2 and then six and then 12 and then 25, I think if all those add up. Yeah. Check me on that. But yeah. You know, I've been thinking a lot, you know, we've had so many great people on the show and just my own entrepreneurial friends and, and clients over the years. And I'm interested in your thought when you think about people who are not coming from that kind of tech venture type mindset, but are still trying to grow a business. Do you have any thoughts about when they, when they realize they don't have the right team, but they're feeling like we can't afford the right team and maybe they're, maybe they're too much of the system themselves instead of building a business system. Do you have any thoughts or any kind of like mental models to maybe help people realize like if those really are your goals, you know, maybe you need to start stealing a different business model or adapting to a different business model that can either raise money or charge more per client so you can 
actually pay for the talent that it would take you to get there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard. I mean, I've only kind of thought in like this venture backed mode, you know what I mean? And you kind of always have to like, the market size needs to match the opportunity and needs to match, you know, like certain things need to match up in order for it to be appealing to venture investors. But I think like from our perspective, you know, Outlet was just as much a mission as it was a business. You know, we we want to get uh, health sensing technology on every single baby. And we felt the the only way that that would be possible was, and to do it really, really well was, was to be venture backed. And so, you know, from the get-go, it's like, how can this be a billion dollar business is like the first question we're answering. And, you know, kind of building a story around in order to raise funding to kind of, to really get our mission done. And the mission being the health monitor on every single baby. Yeah, it is interesting how destination definition really helps us with vehicle selection, right? Yeah. Where, you know, other people are building businesses to make good money, right? And there's no number on it. So there's no objective, you know, there's no objective way to say, does our business model line up with that number? Because there is no number, right? And I think about just the specificity of, you know, if this really is the test that everything gets put up against, you know, is there a reasonableness that this could be head towards a billion dollar business, right? Yeah. It's so easy to say no to vehicles that are too slow, right? And it's not like the other vehicles guarantee you get there, but there's a whole bunch of vehicles that guarantee you don't get there, right? Yeah. So, yeah, it's it seems like you've played a lot of roles at Outlet over the years. What's your, what what are you doing day to day these days? Yeah. So, oh man, I've played a lot of roles at Outlet. In the early days, it was uh, marketing and sales and product at the same time. So what are our features and also what are we selling? And then I hired the first marketing team and handed off the marketing side and really focused on product. And since then, I've always been in the, what are we building, you know, and what should we build next kind of world. So I've headed up the feature set for every single one of our products that we've brought to market and, you know, try to define how does this fit in the market and how will it win in the market? And that's still what I'm doing. You know, we're actually planning out what's the stuff we want to do in 2021 and getting some higher resolution so we can begin work on that. And yeah, I'm always kind of thinking like five years out, what, how are things going to be different and how are we going to be prepared for that? Well, you know, I know we're winding up for, for the first half of the interview here. I think that's maybe a great subject for the second half. Maybe before we close off here, though, one of the questions I've really enjoyed asking guests lately is, what's advice you would go back and give a younger version of yourself if you could? Oh, man. Besides get into skiing earlier in life, right? Get into skiing earlier. Man, that would have been nice. Ah, there's a lot of advice I would have given. I think, honestly, I think relying on those advisors, that's still kind of sitting in my head a little bit. Like I sit back and, and think about all of the things that we learned by, you know, bumping to the walls of reality, so to speak, or probably better spoke, like stepping on the rake of reality and getting slammed in the face. Like <laughs> we just did a lot of things wrong and there's actually like standard ways to do a lot of stuff. And I think spending more time with advisors and people who have been down kind of our road at the time is sometimes hard. So you don't feel like you might get the most out of like an hour meeting, but sometimes like the smallest details go a long way. So for example, like agile development, it's this whole 
concept between of how to like create software. And we were like almost three years into the business before we'd even heard of agile or really even knew what it was. And when we implemented it, it transformed our business. And, you know, it's just like an example of like a very standard, you know, almost embarrassed to tell people we didn't know what agile was for the first three years. And, you know, that was out there and we could have benefited from that a lot sooner than just, you know, muffing stuff up ourselves. So there's probably a lot of things like that. So I, I advise a handful of companies and I just absolutely love doing it because I love saving people the, the headache that we ran into by just like kind of doing it wrong, you know? Yeah, I love it. Well, for people who want to connect with you, what what's the best place? Is it Instagram or where's where's best place for people to do that? Yeah, I think, you know, I'm I'm a, a social hermit, but where I where I do where I am pretty active is Instagram. It's just pictures of me like jeeping and stuff, but I actually talk to a lot of Alec customers on Messenger, you know, within the messaging platform there and and even founders there too. So, that's where that's where I can be found is my yeah, my Instagram. And that's Jordan J. Monroe, right? Yep, that's me. Seeing a lot of great pictures of skiing and jeeping in the mountains here. <laughs> yeah. All about it. Yeah. Love it. Okay, everybody, please tune back in for part two of our interview with Jordan. Thanks so much.